Welcome to Living Wisely, Living Well, timeless wisdom to enrich every day with Asha Nayaswamy, one of the spiritual directors of Ananda Palo Alto and a founding member of Ananda Worldwide. If you enjoy this content and are inspired by the teachings of Paramahansa Yogananda and his disciple Swami Kriyananda, find Asha on YouTube, Facebook, all podcast directories, and her website, ashajoy.org. Living Wisely, Living Well, November 25th. Seek wisdom more from experience than from books. When reading advice in a book, ask yourself, does this counsel resonate with my own experience? If not, put it on hold. Don't scoff at it, for it may contain truths you haven't yet discovered for yourself. But accept nothing on blind faith. Only when a truth has been lived can it be wholly known. Now, this is really a very interesting and important teaching, especially when you consider. Now, Swami Kriyananda is not writing this book from the point of view of how to be a disciple of Paramahansa Yogananda, although it's self-evident in every commentary I'm making that I, I can't separate. I mean, this is his guru's teaching, and every so often he refers to it. But the premise of this book is not, here I am to make you a disciple of my guru, to train you into the practices that we follow. Here's your first step to Kriya initiation. Obviously, he's taking the path of self-realization and he's making it as broad as he can make it. He's not diluting it, as you've heard me say many times in this book. I mean, this book is not for sissies. One of my most amazing of the, the pieces of advice he gives, it starts, I believe it starts, and it's not even a full page. It's like half a page in the book. It starts with the suggestion that we cooperate with people of good intention, and it ends by telling us we need to be willing to be burned at the stake for our principles. <laughs> you know, and there's like about four sentences of transition. So Swamiji is not, this is not a kindergarten teaching at all. But at the same time, his own tradition, which he's absolutely loyal to, so you see the thing about self-realization is, it's a central truth that actually can be applied in all ways, and it's a truth that because of its fundamental uh, veracity, it can be stretched way far out into the periphery of life, and there's still principles that apply. Still, the tradition that Swamiji comes from is the tradition of the guru-disciple. And when Swami Kriyananda himself met his own guru, Paramhansa Yogananda, author of Autobiography of a Yogi, and there's probably very few of you watching this who don't, aren't, aren't at least passingly familiar with some of that, or you can, these days, just Google it, and in a split second you'll see what it means. In his own autobiography, Swami Kriyananda talks about the fact that he, when he met, when he read Autobiography of a Yogi, he read it um, nonstop for three days, five days, five days, five nights of reading it, maybe it was three, he made the immediate decision to go to Los Angeles. No, actually, he said he didn't want to be hasty, so he waited 24 hours. And then he got a bus ticket to go from New York City, where he was living, to Los Angeles, where Yogananda was living. This is 1948. Um, the idea of having an Indian guru, the idea of having a guru, the idea of there being Indians um, from India in America, None of that. All of it was just so far out from anything. Swami Kriyananda had grown up in a, uh, an upper, 
upper middle class or upper class family, um, well-to-do, his father was prominent, and uh, he was just, you know, there was nothing in his background for him to do something like that. He got on the bus, he went five days across the country, you know, took a shower when he finally landed, got a little sleep, went and found Yogananda. When he finally got to him, he's 22 years old, Yogananda says to him, what may I do for you? Swami Kriyananda says, I want to be your disciple. And when Swami tells us that story, he said, one week before, he said, I could never have imagined my saying those words to anyone. And Swamiji just talks about himself in his autobiography, The Path. He tells us he was, he was strong-minded. He was, had tremendous faith in his own um, perception of things. I, I've talked to his family. His brother said he was simply brilliant. In the end, Swami knew eight languages. He, was, he, was, he knew three, he knew four languages, I believe, by the time he was ten. You know, it's just like he, he was an extraordinary man by any measure and an extraordinary outstanding young man, and to use Swami's own words, extremely proud of his intelligent, intelligence, arrogance, arrogant in his intelligence. And all of a sudden he walks up and he says, I want to be your disciple. And then Paramhansa Yogananda, after some, a little bit of exchange back and forth, um, says to Swamiji, I give you my unconditional love. Now, later Swamiji said, I don't think he actually said that to everyone, especially not in the first meeting, but it would be hard to know. But Swamiji, and then Master said back, will you give me your unconditional love? Swami said, yes, I will. Then Yogananda said, will you give me your unconditional obedience, which the Guru has a right to ask. Swamiji said, I was absolutely desperate to be accepted. And the whole story of his autobiography explains, you know, what a state of desperation he was in at that point. I was absolutely desperate, but I also knew I had to be absolutely honest. So he said to to Master, as he called him, Yogananda, he said, what if I think you are wrong? And Master said, I will never ask anything of you that God does not tell me to ask of you. And Swami said, then I will give you my, my unconditional obedience. And the Master then, then blessed him on the heart chakra. And Swami, no, at the spiritual eye, at the heart, at the heart. And he said, Master's hand, for two minutes, he said his hand vibrated with power. And Swami said afterwards, in some undefinable way, he said, I was totally changed. Master just went into him. Once Swami gave him permission, and he changed him. Now, I'm saying all this because this is the tradition. Now, with us, Swami Kriyananda had every right to ask for our obedience, even quite apart from Guru, because he never presented himself that way. He was always acting on behalf of Master, who was our Guru, but he was the channel for us. But in every religious tradition, every ashram, as the head of the ashram, he had the right to ask of us obedience. He said, I never will. I ask only for your intelligent cooperation. Okay, nonetheless, there it is that unconditional obedience. Then Swamiji said, because his life was just completely turned up by, upside down by this meeting of Master and, and all of this experience, 
He said, after that, I followed Master unhesitatingly, but not unquestioningly. And that has just been the brilliant summation of what he wants from us. As Swami often said to us, he said, I far prefer an intelligent no than a mindless yes. And, you know, he didn't want us just to say yes because we're supposed to say yes. He wanted us to think for ourselves because what do you have if you just go along? You know, you're, then you become, instead of becoming increasingly liberated, you become increasingly dependent because you don't know how to think. You don't know how to decide for yourself. You don't know how to intuit. You only know how to be told and then do it. Swami remarks how interesting it is, and this is in the Catholic tradition, he said, if a woman decides that she doesn't want to, if, she's, if a woman has been a nun for a long time and then decides she doesn't want to live in the monastery, in the convent anymore, he says, as soon as she's outside, she goes finds a priest that she can be obedient to. Because the whole attitude is that, you know, the superior will tell me. Now, it has its own validity, but oddly enough, it is not the guru-disciple tradition. Because the purpose of the guru is to turn you into him. <laughs> it's like this is, the, this is the grave mistake that Christianity has made in Judaism also, is that there's no self-realization at the end of it. Jesus can save us. Um, the Jews don't, don't have the, even the tradition of saints or avatars, although people get around these things because human nature is human nature. But in the self-realization tradition, you know, the guru does not stand forever superior to his disciple. If the guru is a true guru, every disciple becomes equal to him in realization. And you don't become equal in realization unless you yourself have realized. Now, when the guru asks of you obedience, the way uh, Master describes it in Autobiography of a Yogi, when Sri Yukteswar asked of Master his obedience. The question is like this, you know, my will was guided by whims and fancies until I disciplined myself to the greater wisdom of my guru. Now, disciplining yourself to the greater wisdom of your guru is not blind faith. It is exactly what, now Swami's here is talking is simple because we're not, we're talking about, not talking about living gurus, but I'm trying to tell you how important this is. If you hear advice in a book and it doesn't resonate with you, don't accept it just because someone else says so. You have to go by your own experience. But, he says, don't scoff at it and don't reject it. Now, he's presuming, because he's writing this for a general audience, that if you're reading the book, you respect the author enough to feel he has something to offer you. Of course, if you're a disciple of a master whose wisdom you, you have intuitively experienced, but even then, not unquestioningly. You may not be able to accept it, but don't scoff at it and don't reject it, because it simply may be beyond your present experience, but not beyond your future experience. Because if you scoff at it and reject it, you limit yourself to what you already know. So, of course, I, I modeled myself after Swamiji in as many ways as I was able to, and I also, it was just the way I made. I mean... Arrogance is a fair criticism that could be leveled at me. I hope not anymore, but it certainly could have been leveled at me pretty steadily for a long time. Every 
every fault that we have, or most of the time, I will say every, but I haven't examined it absolutely, much of the time, our worst characteristic is our best characteristic taken just a little too far. A very fine characteristic of me is that I am strong-minded and I do follow a lot of Swami's advice here, which is I, I stand by my principles. I, I, I have my fears. I have my desires to be loved and accepted. I'm not perfect, but I have a tendency to stand strong by what I believe. But of course, then I go too far and I stand too strong in what I believe. And I think that other people who don't see it my way are not worth listening to, blah, 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 like that. But I was, much as I, I had an instantaneous recognition of Swami Kriyananda, I literally, when he walked into the room and I saw him for the first time before he spoke, I felt his consciousness had no boundaries. And I recognized in his vibration exactly who I wanted to be. And I just, this, he's my pole star. I will follow this because this will take me where I want to go. I never looked back. That was November of 1969. I never doubted and I never looked back. But I never followed unquestioningly. And there were lots of things that he said that I did not understand at all. And there were lots of times when he said things when scoff is too big a word, but it was like, what the heck is he saying? And even when I would think, you know, I would become confused because it seemed like a big generalization, or it seemed like such a sweeping comment, you know, that's just took in so many people without considering this and this and this. But then I would have to balance that against, it, it, it was sort of, it was just like, like Swami with Master, exactly. Like my, my intuitive faith in His consciousness and His wisdom was not blind. You know, I believed in him and it was not blind. It was my experience from the first moment to the last, well, to this, as I sit in this chair. But as we went along, many times I had to balance that experience of his wisdom with the confusion of this thought or that thought or this piece of advice or that decision. It was by no means a constant but I developed exactly what Swamiji said. I developed what I called a mental shelf. You know, if in your closet, I mean, certainly in my closet, the things that I use the most, I keep in the front. And the things that I sometimes use, maybe never use, don't want to have to always look at, I put way in the back or on the shelf or in the box or under the drawer or somewhere else because I don't want them in the way. I don't want to have to sort through the wrong things all the time. So I had a mental shelf where I put everything that I didn't get, I put it all away, I kept using the things that I liked, and just like those odd bodkins in your closet, every so often I would look look at it and I would say, my gosh, this is lovely, I'm going to start wearing this all the time. And over all these years, and I'm, I'm not exaggerating, pretty much everything I didn't get, I got. <laughs> 20 years later, when my experience matched his, I would say, wow, what do you know? He was right. So, seek wisdom more from experience than from books. When reading advice in a book, ask yourself, does this counsel resonate with my own experience? If not, put it on hold. Don't scoff at it, for it may contain truths you haven't yet discovered for yourself. But accept nothing on blind faith. 
Only when a truth has been lived can it be wholly known. Joy to you, my friends. Our work is made possible by inspired listeners. So if you feel to support Asha, you can make a one-time donation or for unique members-only content, subscribe through Patreon. Blessings and thank you.